Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm William Brent, Chief Campaign Officer of Power for All. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Leopold, the Chief Executive Officer of the African Mini Grid Developers Association, also known as AMDA, about a groundbreaking new report that starts to provide data for the mini grid sector that has long been sorely lacking. But before we find out what that data tells us, a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and information on our website, powerforall.org, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible donation to Power for All, you can do so on our homepage. With that, welcome, Aaron. You've been one of the leading advocates for universal energy access for years, especially for private sector mini-grids which according to pretty much everyone, including the International Energy Agency and the World Bank, are the most affordable option to bring electricity to as many as half a billion people. But there's been uh, a large absence of quantitative data to help policymakers and financiers in Africa and elsewhere make better decisions in building out their energy infrastructure. So you've just released the Benchmarking Africa's Mini-Good Report, Aaron, to fill that data gap. What did you learn about the positive impacts of mini-grids and and the impact that they're making right now in Africa? Thanks, Will, and it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Um, As you were saying, you know, this is really a groundbreaking piece of of research. It's taking for the first time data from all of Africa's leading and also new mini-grid players from around the continent and creating a first look at how the sector is performing across different markets, across different types and sizes of companies, and of course, across different ages of companies. Um, Most mini-grid companies are still only uh, less than five years old, but we have some industry veterans. And there's important differences that we've pulled out across uh, these different categories around uh, investment, around price, around service quality, around revenues, etc. And I think the most encouraging thing to answer your question really succinctly that we've learned is that Uh, the mini-grid sector in Africa is behaving as anyone would expect a new sector to behave. We are seeing dramatic price reductions across the board. Uh, We are seeing improvements in service quality and improvements in uh, speed and effectiveness of the companies as they grow. And we're also seeing that, surprise, surprise, uh, concessional or public funding works to bring in additional private funding because any new sector is inherently seen as risky to investors and public capital has always been, and in the Minigrid's case, is unsurprisingly doing a great job at de-risking these projects. So what we're really seeing is after a long time of uh, working on pilot projects, trying to bring about changes and improvements in the business model, we're really, really seeing that these companies are maturing and that the sector is behaving as it should. And our big takeaway there is that, you know, this lack of surprise, this, this very uh, predictable, traditional uh, growth and learning is very reassuring because what it means is we've basically been uh, doing the right thing in supporting the sector uh, the way that we have been. And what it is time to do now is scale up that support. The number one concerns around the sector are around price. The best way to get around that concern is to help these companies gain experience, help them gain scale so they can benefit from those uh, experiences and the economies of scale to reduce cost. 
Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I found interesting was with the specific numbers in detail around price reductions, as well as um, affordability of connection and uh, service provision. Can you very quickly give us the statistics on that? Yeah. So in over the past three years, um, the developers on average across the continent went from a per connection price of $1,555 per connection in 2016 down to $733 in 2019 per connection. That is thousands of dollars less per connection than most rural utilities, rural state-owned utilities um, <clears throat> cost in those same markets. So if you look at a new company going into a new market, the costs are higher. Um, and that's one of the interesting things that we were able to disaggregate in our data. Or if an experienced company is going into a new market, those costs will be higher because they have to deal with new regulations. They have to figure out how to import, how to uh, work through the regulatory and environmental and social impact assessment side of things. Um, and also they have to adjust their business model to those new markets. But experienced developers in their home markets have dropped the costs down to, in some cases, well below $500 per connection in the most rural, remote, difficult to reach areas of the continent. So these are representing enormous cost savings vis-a-vis -vis the grid. And as I mentioned previously, cost is the number one concern. Cost is not just about the connection cost, however. It's, of course, what the customer pays every month. It's the kilowatt hour cost. Our argument is that what we see across Africa is really that you know, a national utility will have a very low price per kilowatt hour that is benefiting from you know, historical and current subsidies from, from donors, uh, from the government itself, but it's also benefiting from cross-subsidies amongst their customers. So the urban customers who consume a lot are subsidizing the costs of, of the rural consumers who consume little. And in the mini-grid sector, we, A, don't have those subsidies uh, as reliably, and B, there's the inability to cross-subsidize. What we're saying with these radical connection cost savings is that if the governments actually took a holistic view at the mini-grid uh, ecosystem, these thousands of dollars of cost savings per connection, the government should see that as thousands of dollars of cost savings for the government. And what we could be doing is taking those cost savings and putting it into a kilowatt hour subsidy for the mini grids that would simply alleviate all of the problems that we're, that we're seeing with governments being concerned about a high kilowatt hour cost. I mean, it's, it's not at all a stretch or it's not at all an exaggeration to say that um, the cost savings from these mini grid connections are actually equal to subsidizing them for decades um, on a kilowatt hour basis. So that was a long answer to your rather short question. The other part of your question, I think, was around service quality. So I apologize for that. Um, on the service quality side, what we're seeing is that they're just doing incredibly well. So um, 99, or the average uptime rather, the average uh, system reliability is 99.1% uptime, which means that there are only unscheduled power outages less than 1% of, of the time. This is radically better than um, in 
uh, in the national utility context. I come from upstate New York where thunderstorms used to knock out our power every couple of months. They would knock down a, a power line or electricity would zap uh, a power line. And honestly, the mini grids in rural Africa have better quality than the energy that I grew up with uh, in my youth. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, so that's the that's the good news. Um, and, you know, obviously the mini grid sector has a lot to bring to the whole equation around rural electrification in Africa. But what are the challenges? I mean, what's, what, what's the one thing that's holding back the sector uh, more than anything else? What's holding it back is not really internal, right? Because we've, we've had this huge phase of learning where the companies have really been pushed quite hard to shave off costs and create efficiencies everywhere because the world wants a private sector solution. The world wants to not be dependent on subsidies for rural service provision forever, which is justifiable and understandable. Um, and what, what I would say is that we've learned that all this focus on, on the, the corporate or the company side has really uh, accidentally left a big hole on the policy side. So half of Africa's um, countries still do not have specific policies or regulations for mini-grids. And the ones that do have them, um, you have to recall power sector regulations in particular, you know, they were all designed when people were thinking about small numbers of enormous projects. So a huge coal power plant, a giant hydro plant, a giant solar uh, independent power producer, <clears throat> et cetera. But what we need for mini grids, you know, the government of Nigeria alone there is expecting at least 10,000 mini grids to be required in Nigeria. So uh, we've got 10 years left till 2030 in the, the SDG goals. So that's 1,000 mini grids a year. Can the regulator in Nigeria approve you know, three mini grids every single day for the next 10 years? Uh, well, not right now, even with its very, very modern regulations. Um, so there's all these different hoops that the companies have to jump through. Like I said before, environmental and social, there's a, a, a construction license, there's a, a distribution license in some cases, and then there's this tariff setting uh, negotiation that happens in many cases. So, so there's at least, you know, in our report, we've outlined, you know, there's, there's six or seven hoops that these companies often have to jump through. And on average, across the continent, it's taking over a year per village to get the approvals. So what we have is a, a scenario where the World Bank has actually indicated that Africa needs 140,000 mini grids. Well, if we don't change anything, that's 140, or sorry, 140,000 mini grids. That, that means now 140,000 years of waiting. Um, so we sort of urgently need uh, digitization, modernization, remote monitoring, etc., built into the policy and regulatory structures around mini grids um, that allows for the bundling together of multiple approvals, multiple villages at a portfolio level um, at a time. Otherwise, we're simply, uh, you know, the investors might be there, the companies are already, but like they're literally not allowed to do anything because of the regulatory barriers. So that's, that's the biggest issue that we're facing now. But, you know, most governments have energy as a priority. So AMDA, we really see our job and, and also the job of, of the mini-grid developers themselves um, really at the moment 
you know, what we need to do is, is help instill trust in the mini grid sector that it's okay to do this quickly. It's okay to not necessarily uh, remove safeguards because the whole reason why regulations exist is to pr protect the customer. And electricity can be dangerous. Price gouging uh, is something that no one wants. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of consumer protection that is definitely required. But what we need to do is is help the government and the mini grid sector build trust between the two, so that we can start to move quickly based on that trust. Aaron, so you know, just to put that a little bit more in context. Um, or to put some more detail to it, you know, so what would be an ideal timeframe for meeting regulatory compliance for mini grid projects? Would it be one month? Would it be, uh, do you have a target timeframe for that? And also you mentioned earlier the potential, you know, by, uh, by obtaining savings from lower connection costs compared to state run utilities, there's an opportunity to potentially cross subsidize to lower tariffs for mini grid developers um, so that they're more in line with this, those state run utilities. What do you see anybody uh, or any country or any government uh, taking a lead on trying to reduce those compliance times as well as looking to potentially uh, cross subsidize? That's a great question. Uh, I will make a short answer out of that, but I could really uh, talk about that for quite some time. Um, the, most of this stuff should become, in my view, and some people differ on this, um, there should be sort of a corporate level license. So if you are a trusted company, your company should get a distribution license, a generation license, and a tariff approval across the portfolio that you're applying for. So if you're a company that has a plan to buy or to build 500 grids, then you know that 75% of those grids are gonna have roughly the same configuration. In addition to having all those licenses that I mentioned granted at the corporate level, you should also have most of your environmental impact uh, requirements sort of ticked off in one exercise as well. You know, you submit that uh, solar panels are going to require, you know, 30 by 30 meters and you're going to have poles and wires. The impact is so small, um, but right now every single village is generally required to, to have one. Where it can still take time is, is village rights. So it's really like a government relations thing as well, as I mentioned before. Can the government partner with mini grid companies to to go around to communities and say, in in this community, Kenya Power or whichever uh, national uh, distributor, we're not going to be able to reach you in time. So we're partnering with these these mini grid companies. They are our partners in in electrifying rural country X, right? And and in that way, I feel like a lot of the regulatory compliance could. You know, it's not even about the timeline per community. It's, it's more like the timeline per company in a way. And if we can change it over to that sort of perspective, you know, we can, we can electrify Africa in a much, much reduced timeline than the current structure. And in terms of the cross subsidies, again, that will only be possible if each company has hundreds of communities within its portfolio. You know, right now in our benchmarking report, the average number of sites that a company has was only three. So we have some companies that have 100. We have some that have 50. More than half of the companies have less than three sites. So half of them are decent size. Half of them are just getting started. So what does that mean? That means that these companies that only have a few sites, there's no way that they can cross subsidize. So their, their prices will be higher. 
Um, but as soon as you have 100, 250, 500 sites, if you have one that's doing terribly and you have 10 that are doing great, you could ostensibly use those 10 sites to, to help support the, the price of the, the one that's doing terribly. So we expect that as the sector grows, a lot of the complaints about the sector will evaporate because the real challenge the sector is facing is that everyone is pointing fingers while they're still essentially an infant industry. And, you know, when governments go to site visits, they think, wow, I want one of these in my grandparents' home community as well. But until they go to see them, they think, well, how can this little tiny company with six solar panels or whatever uh, offer better power than our national utility? And I think that um, it, it's very much, that's why I focused a bit in our podcast conversation here on trust, because that is, is so much of what is missing. It's what was missing on the financing side um, in, in previous years, and we're still working on that now in our benchmarking report by showing these industry averages, I think goes a long way in establishing a benchmark to build that trust. You know, how are you performing vis-a-vis the sector when you're asking for a million dollars or $20 million? Um, now there's a comparison. And also on the service quality and also on the regulation. So we really hope that this benchmarking study can help hold companies to account that they're offering high quality, affordable services, but also holding governments and donors to account on are you supporting the sector enough to allow it to grow to the extent that the price can come down? So are you supporting the sector enough uh, so it can grow quickly and deploy quickly so that the costs can come down? So I think that we're hoping this tool uh, can be used by all different players to really start building relationships and building momentum towards progress. Aaron, so this, this is, a, is this going to be an annual report? It will be, yes. Okay. And I assume that the data that was gathered for this report was gathered before COVID. So I'm curious as our last question, if you can perhaps give a, a quick forecast for what you think the will be happening in the mini grid sector or has been happening since COVID was first reported eight months ago and what we could expect uh, before the next reporting period for your report. Great question. Um, so we've been working together with our partners at Odyssey Energy Solutions and Cross Boundary Energy's Innovation Lab. Uh, to track demand almost in real time across uh, developers in Nigeria and in Kenya and Tanzania. Um, We're looking at data from their smart meters around how demand has shifted. And we're seeing in East Africa that actually not a lot has changed on the the demand side. But in Nigeria, where the lockdowns were quite strict and we understand there was less um, urban to rural migration during the the COVID period, uh, we we have seen quite a dramatic drop in demand. Um, I think that this is going to affect the mini grid companies just on a cash flow basis. But what we've also seen is investors are sort of you know buckling down and not really putting new investments into the sector as quickly as they would have otherwise. Investors are still moving, but we're expecting to see a slowdown. Unfortunately, just like the world has slowed down. So we think that um, on the one hand, there is a dampening effect that's happening because of COVID. But on the other hand, almost half of our founding members and many of our new members closed financing rounds in 2019. And that means that they are indeed constructing lots and lots of new sites 
in 2020, despite COVID, and particularly now as the world uh, in August of, of uh, this pandemic year, you know, the world is sort of figuring out its new normal. Um, so we do expect a lot of construction happening this year. And so the numbers for 2020, we think are going to be extremely positive, but not as positive as they would have been. Thanks, Aaron. Well, we'll be looking forward to seeing the, the next report uh, to understand exactly what the impact has been uh, over this year. Uh, and in the meantime, for the listeners out there, uh, if you want to read the full report, which I highly encourage you to do, you can find it on africamda.org. Aaron, uh, congratulations on the report. It's a very important contribution to the sector. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, Will. It's always a pleasure. 